This is the Thorn Podcast, Performance Edition, the show that navigates the complex world of sports science and explores the latest research on diet, nutritional supplements, and the human body. I'm Joel Totoro, Director of Sports Science at Thorn. As a reminder, statements in this podcast have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. Any products mentioned are not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Thorn Podcast Performance Edition. Joining me this week is Casey Thomas, a dietitian, writer, and instructor. Casey has a degree in neurobiology and has worked with Olympians and athletes at the highest level of sport and is currently a leader in the field of performance for elite eSport athletes with the uh, 1HP company where he utilizes his gamer diet philosophy. Casey, welcome to the show. Thanks so much, Joel. I'm excited to be here. Should be fun. <laughs> yeah, I know we've got a lot to talk about. It's good. We've had a lot of these conversations offline, so it's uh, it's really good to kind of share this. I think it's it's there's a lot here to talk about. Uh, you started your career in clinical research, looking at supplement and pharmaceutical impacts on the brain and brain health before returning to school to become a registered dietitian. Can you talk a little bit about that journey and kind of how your research background shapes your nutrition philosophy? Yeah, I'll definitely say that I took a little bit of a unique path towards dietetics. Most of the people who are working in sports usually come out of the, the fitness scene or they were you know, former athletes themselves, things like that. For me, I've always been really interested in science just in general. Back in like middle school, high school, I was kind of playing around with different hobbies and things and I was already checking out scientific research articles from libraries and things like that going to universities i didn't have a lot of money growing up <laughs> and one thing that hit me was like i was like oh this is so cool this chemistry is awesome i want to do this at home and it's like oh well i can't afford a you know half a million dollar lab setup and i had like buddies who were into cars i had some people who were into like you know astronomy i was like i can't afford to book time on the hubble telescope or any of this stuff but i read some nutrition things i was like oh i can spend 20 bucks and go buy a couple food items and i can test things out myself and so i, I just started doing these random experiments on myself where I'd test out the diets that I would read about and actually have an entire shelf on, it's it's digitized now, but uh, initially I had an entire shelf with just like little notebooks where I'd keep tabs on how I was feeling with my workouts, uh, my mood, my sleep, like all this kind of stuff. And once I got a little bit older, I would do like pre-post tests with, um, uh, with the doctors too. And so like my doctors would hate me because I'd always get like blood draws like what crazy diet are you doing now? So that really was one of the main drivers for me into nutrition was just like, there was a low cost of entry and just being candid on the front end. <laughs> and from there, anyway, uh, I was always fascinated by the brain, as you mentioned, the neurobiology. And that was really interesting to me. I initially was slated to be pre-med, go be a doctor, started shadowing some doctors, decided that that was really not for me. I didn't enjoy it. And I wanted to go back to doing, you know, the research stuff. So I went and went to work in the private sector. Uh, we were looking, as you said, various supplements and pharmaceuticals and their impacts on the brain. And this was my first exposure to high level athletes because just speaking candidly, I had several individuals who would approach me and they're like, hey, is there anything that you can give to me that isn't yet being drug tested? You know, maybe you have a little insider information about some like up and coming something. At this time, I was just like a nutritionist and I was helping friends and family out with their own diet stuff just based off my own practice. But this was the first time where I had some high level athletes who were, you know, reaching out to me. And it's really interesting because at the highest level, you see that the difference between first and last is usually a neurological difference rather than a physiological difference. If you have half a second improvements in reaction time, I mean, that'd be pretty massive. But if you have improvements of just like a fraction of a second, that can be the difference between first and last in a lot of these events. So anyway, this this really excited me. And I was like, oh, this is so cool. Like I can leverage some of the stuff that I'm using here to enhance performance measures and to get these people hitting their goals. And so from that, I was like, okay, I want to return to this diet 
thing. And so went back to school, became a dietitian. Initially, I started working with traditional athletes. Specifically, I would try to leverage nutrition and supplement strategies that could enhance the brain because that was such a great area in both like the NC2A and at the professional level. Like there's no real ban on any kind of supplements that would be beneficial for the brain. Everything that's banned is all the obvious stuff like testosterone. <laughs> you know, this stuff is the banned stuff. And so I was like, okay, what's an, what's another route we can take? And so I tried to put all to get put all the stuff together, put the neuro stuff together, put the supplement research time, see what I can do. And I, I had a lot of success helping out with a lot of traditional athletes and things like baseball, which doesn't require a lot of physical performance measures. You just have to have good hand-eye coordination, good reaction time. And you know, base level of strength to uh, get on base. And I was also doing volunteer work with a lot of the, the gamers on campus at UCLA. And they were like, hey, I see you're doing this stuff with the baseball guys. Can you do that here? And the answer was just a resounding yes. <laughs> so I started doing a lot of pro bono work with gamers and being a lifelong gamer myself, albeit a rather poor one, um, it just felt a little bit kind of like a return to home. After doing a lot of pro bono work with them, COVID hit during my time in traditional athletics, which made the job really unfun. I couldn't do the stuff that really excited me about working with traditional athletes. So I decided to go pursue more the private practice route. And uh, 1HP reached out to me. They're a team of medical professionals who works in the esports scene. And we are contracted with pretty much all the top tier organizations in North America. And we've also branched out internationally. And so they reached out to me knowing my experience. I was kind of building a name for myself in the space. And I was able to join up with the team. And it's been growing. It's been really fun. And to this day, I still keep my foot in the academic side of things. I still am an instructor and professor at a couple universities. Universities. I do peer review for scientific journals and I keep my foot in the practical side of things and I just try to leverage these strategies in order to maximize benefits for, you know, the athletes that I work with. Hopefully that, I don't know, maybe that was a long-winded answer, but yeah, that's kind of the route I took. <laughs> no, that's that's perfect. You're a very interesting and unique guy, so I'm glad to get that kind of background. One of the things you just said kind of makes a, a big point for me, kind of the idea of fueling cognitive performance and kind of the brain and central nervous system. I think Traditionally in sports, you know, everyone's like, oh, okay, cool. I need to replace my electrolytes. I need to replace my glycogen. But we don't really talk about, and for a long time, didn't have a solution for kind of the, the brain side of things. So we talk about esports and kind of esports players, they can make, you know, five, 600 actions per minute. They're, you know, assessing so many different things per second. And it's, a, it's just a massive cognitive load, right? And we already know the brain's massively metabolic at rest, right? So can you talk a little bit about kind of how you fuel the brain or kind of the nutrients the brain uses and kind of how that's a little bit different? different because like you said, similar to baseball, it's not as physical of a competition, but there's still a lot going on kind of biologically. Yeah. And th the funny thing is that for some reason in esports, it's almost entirely forgotten that nutrition can be leveraged for cognitive performance. And this is something that we've known and utilized across the board for literally like thousands of years. Like if you go back in time and you look at ancient Greek students and things, they literally would modify their nutrition practices to help them study and, you know, help them take their tests and all this kind of stuff. So this is something that we've been doing for a long time. And in modern times, you look at things like the tactical setting, you look at military and you see that they're doing specific nutrition practices. You look at chess grandmasters, they're doing stuff and, you know, I've had the pleasure of working with them. And so esports is somewhat of an extension of this. And as far as what the brain is actually doing, the brain does have unique nutritional needs and nutritional requirements. Depending on the age, there might be a different slant on different things, like if they're growing or, or not still. We do see that a lot of esports athletes are younger. <laughs> if you're 20, you're, you're kind of like almost peaking. And if you are 
approaching 30. Oh my God, you're an old man. So there's some changes that are going on there. But as far as like the actual needs of the brain, what we do see is that it does rely predominantly on two fuel substrates. Uh, The first is ATP phosphocreatine, and the second is glucose. An interesting note is that the, the neurons actually don't store the glycogen locally, like in, in-house, they have to store it in a nearby cell and then it gets transported to them, which uh, has some implications for things like TBIs and such in, in some of these sports. But anyway, so so the brain leverages these two nutrients. Uh, so some other thing that's really interesting about the brain is that it is the fattiest organ that we have outside of pure fat tissue. So if you dehydrate the brain, like it's it's got more fat in it than any any other organ that we have. So we start to see a picture of, of kind of what, what the brain is built of and also what the brain needs, which is um, at, a, at a base level, it's built from fats. You know, this shouldn't be a shocker to a lot of people. You know, we throw fish oils and things into prenatal vitamins, right? Because it's important for the, you know, baby's brain development. Uh, the brain is continually growing over the years. And a lot of these healthy fat sources can be used to quite literally change the architecture of your brain. And there's a little bit of a misconception that your brain stops growing or I don't know when I was a kid I was told oh if I bang my head and I lose a neuron uh oh that's it like I'm screwed for the rest of my life <laughs> you can never regrow any neurons but there's there's neurogenesis occurring in the brain through in certain regions through the entire lifespan and so if you're going to build neurons or at least change them then you need the right substrates in order to do that so the right substrates literally means the food that you eat right so you have to eat the right stuff if you want your brain brain to be built of the right stuff and if your brain is built of the right stuff, if the hardware of your brain is of higher quality material, you see all sorts of beneficial impacts. You see like more resilience to injury, better stress resilience. You see uh, quicker learning, better mood, like all this kind of stuff, which is great. And then as far as like the actual fuel substrates that the brain is using for all the chemical reactions and stuff that it's doing, you know, we, we try to leverage that ATP, we try to leverage that glucose. All of this stuff will help in more of the acute short-term timelines. And if we can show enhancements through delivery of these short-term nutrients to the brain, you can see maintenance of, let's say you have a very cognitively demanding stretch of time, you know, like if you're just trying to be thinking and focusing for, you know, eight hours, depending on the nutrients you give your brain, you can sustain that performance across this cognitive load instead of seeing, you know, the steady taper down that is more, more typical. So there's a lot of fancy stuff. I mean, you know, micronutrients play a big deal. Different macronutrients play a big deal. And it just depends on what time course we're looking at and what specifically we're trying to leverage for improvement. First off, and I think this is really important because this is a conversation I have to have with all of the athletes, is simply, yes, nutrition does impact your brain and does impact your health and performance and emotional state and mood and all this kind of stuff. And getting them to acknowledge that that is a reality is is kind of step one because a lot of times they, they just think it doesn't matter. And a lot of them are younger, so they get away with some things. But um, I would say that they're succeeding despite their diet and not because of it. For kind of some of our younger listeners or, or people who are just kind of new to this, you wrote the gamer's diet. What are the food, if you don't have supplement budget, what are the actual, some of the foods you can incorporate and in, what's in the gaming diet? What's kind of some staples some people should be looking for if they're making small food-based changes? There's three main arms. The first arm is removal of a negative. The second one is long-term changes, and the third one is acute changes. And so if you're doing something that is in the short term impacting negatively your performance, then you just got to get rid of it. And so you'll see the quickest cognitive improvements by eliminating those things. What I'm talking about here is like drinking alcohol nonstop, okay? That's not really conducive for your performance. If you're having a bunch of fried chicken and pizza or something, which can acutely occlude blood flow to the brain, this stuff done right before cognitive loads will make you dumber. 
literally. <laughs> uh, so, so the removal of a negative, any kind of like junk things that you can think of either before or during your cognitive tasks, try to minimize those things. That'll give you the most bang for buck. And then from there we talk about like actual, okay, all right, so yeah, don't, don't eat trash. Okay. Who, who would have thought? <laughs> so some broad strokes things that I want to say is a lot of nutrition can, a lot of the high level strategies cannot be realized until the fundamentals have been dialed in first. And what I mean by that is, for example, hydration. The brain is you know, I mentioned it's the fattiest organ if you dehydrate it, but your brain is actually one of the wateriest things that we have in your system. Like a lot of people are like, oh, your body's two thirds water. Well, your brain can be 70 to even sometimes 75% water. So what this means is literally as little as a 1% dehydration can lead to significant cognitive impairment in every single metric that we look at. And most individuals are chronically dehydrated. So if you correct your hydration status immediately, Every single thing that we look at, it <laughs> uh, doesn't matter what metric you put there, both physical, mental, you will see significant improvements in as little as 24 to 48 hours, which is about how long it takes for you to adjust your hydration status. So that's step one. It's just like, let's get, we remove the negative, let's add some fluids, uh, let's make sure you're drinking enough, let's really prioritize that. From there, I'll say, you know, if we're looking at long term changes, I mentioned, you know, the brain's the fattiest organ. A lot of gamers and most Americans have a tendency to, on average, be eating mostly unhealthy fat sources, processed and fried uh, fats and oils and things like this. And if you start substituting some of your unhealthy fats for healthier fats, admittedly, it's going to take some time. But over time, this can literally rework and rebuild the entirety of your brain, which is kind of cool. Some fruits and veg, you know, I sound like my mom right now, you know, have, I mean, if you're playing the numbers game, though, like the average American is not eating any fruits and veg. But, you know, have you even seen a piece of broccoli in the last year? Like that's usually a, a good starting stuff for a lot of people that I work with. These come with very beneficial micronutrients in there that are instrumental to the processing of the brain. So it literally in as little as like two weeks, if you go from not eating fruits and veg to eating fruits and veg, you're going to notice that you're going to have better focus, better concentration, better sustained energy throughout the day. You'll even start to get a little bit of a skin tone. You're going to look healthier, which is just really cool. It sounds silly, but like, really, have you, are you doing that? <laughs> and then what I'll say is something that is not really talked about, but something that's kind of big for, for this is based off are you eating the amount of energy that your body needs? If you're either drastically under eating how much your body needs or overeating how much your body needs, then that has detriments both ways. Making sure, keeping tabs on yourself, like if you're actively eating a whole lot or not enough. Um, and I, I do see this is somewhat polarizing in esports where there's a tendency for a lot of esports athletes and gamers to either eat a lot or to be so focused and one-dimensional on the game that they forget to eat and then really they're just like having one meal a day that kind of thing so i see both ends and both of these have some issues these are some very like fundamental kind of easy-ish things that you can do but i i promise you like if, if you're actually doing all of these things you're gonna see like 80 to 85 percent of all the benefits that you would possibly want and then after that, then we can start looking at some more high level stuff like, okay, do we want to incorporate supplements? Do we want to incorporate like timing recommendations? There's just like really fun strategies that you can start to incorporate, but there's really not a single high level, like fancy strategy that you can incorporate that will undo a deficit in a fundamental area. A big example in esports is the leveraging caffeine products. Uh, to overcome poor sleep practices. We have the data, it's quite clear. It's like, okay, you know, you talk to the gamers and they say, oh, when I take caffeine, 
I feel amazing. Like it makes me better than I was. And it's like, okay, it makes you better relative to where you were sleep deprived, but it doesn't mean that you, if you compare it to yourself well rested, where do you, where do you sit? We've done the studies. It's like you sleep deprived individuals. They maybe go from like a hundred to 60% of their cognitive performance. There was like some fun, like military studies where they force them to be sleep deprived because they can do whatever they want in the military, which is always fun. And then they try to restore their performance with caffeine. And what you see is a partial restoration of lost performance. You don't see total restoration of lost performance. And so they go from maybe 60 to 80%, something like that for uh, these individuals. And for esports athletes, it's like, okay, get your sleep dialed in. Because then if you layer caffeine on top, of good sleep practices and you're already at 100%, well, hey, now maybe we can go from 100 to 105% or 110%, something like that. Really, the fundamentals truly are, are where it's at. And then once you get past that, then yeah, we can start having some fun. The foundation's broken. You can't really do much beyond that. I do actually want to kind of expound a little bit on the, the caffeine question. So we get a lot of questions about energy drinks. And I think there's a lot of misconceptions about what caffeine actually does as opposed to what it just makes you feel. And then kind of what are you actually trying to get out of the caffeine, right? And what are the actual kind of nutrient solutions that can kind of get you where you want to go without your third or fourth uh, energy drink of the day? Caffeine's really interesting. It's one of the most widely used psychoactive compounds in the world it's been used for literally thousands of years it's we have so much data behind it we know what it does we know the impacts and it's not until recently that we've started to for lack of a better word like bastardize it like it's been used somewhat you know it's just like coming out of like the coffee beans and the teas right and a lot of people have been doing this for for literally thousands of years so caffeine is definitely a hot topic and it depends on what you're trying to accomplish with the caffeine Depending on what you're trying to accomplish with it, it will dictate both the dose and the protocols that you're going to follow with it. So I guess to start though, caffeine, the most prominent effect that it has that maybe is relevant for a lot of people is that, I'm sure you know, it acts as an adenosine antagonist and this uh, basically blocks the sensation of tiredness and sleep perception. The sleep pressure is still there, but you're just blocking your perception of it. So the second that it wears off, then all that sleep pressure is going to hit you really hard. And the funny thing is a lot of people talk about, you know, like afternoon crashes and things like that. And it's like, well, it's because you haven't been sleeping and I'm sorry, and the caffeine's wearing off. So you're, you're not actually washing away the sleep pressure. All you're doing is blocking the fact that you're feeling it, which is two very different things. I'm literally drinking coffee as we speak. So, you know, people know I am a ca caffeine user. <laughs> this is one of the most common use cases for it. And, and it's actually kind of a beautiful use case because previously humans have been forced to operate under a very strict, you know, day night cycle. And we've kind of been forced to operate this way until, you know, the invention of the light bulb. And so it wasn't until literally the last couple hundred years that we've been able to adjust our work life schedule or just our living schedule as humans. And caffeine makes those adjustments be a little bit easier. It gives us some freedom from which we can choose where we want our tiredness to happen. So rather than it always occurring at these set times based off of, you know, when it's daylight or when it's nighttime. Yeah, what we see is that that caffeine allows us to break this cycle. So we can choose when we get to be tired. We can choose when we want to be awake. So in that in that in that sense, it's it's actually really nice. It gives us the freedom to do that. For most people in modern times, though, as I said, it's a little bit bastardized. Uh, in modern times, a lot of people are getting poor sleep and are using caffeine to allow them to be awake when they probably should just be getting their sleep in check. And so that's the most common use case. Um, depending on what your job is or what the cognitive load is, caffeine 
does that. Like it just, you know, it, it does wash away the perception of this. It's got a half-life of about four to 10 hours, depending on who you look at or who you ask. So based off the duration of your cognitive task, you're going to adjust when you have the caffeine and also the dose of it. And it'll work. It'll do what you need to do. And I do want to say that caffeine does have a tolerance effect. So if you continually use caffeine, you'll see that you're going to need a higher, higher dose to get the same level of uh, efficacy out of it. And this can cause some problems. And some people are taking in excess of a gram a day of caffeine, which can you know start getting pretty dangerous. If you're just using it to try to fix poor sleep patterns, you got to fix your sleep. If you're using it because you have busy work, busy schedule, all this kind of stuff, I get it. I'm using caffeine right now. Normally, if you need it to peak in esports, it's like, okay, I have competition right now. So it's like, it's a very discrete task. It's, it's a one-off task. And in these instances, what you'll do is you'll take it about 30 to 60 minutes before. And we see this uh, mimicked in traditional sports as well, where that'll give enough time for it to be absorbed into the body. And then uh, it'll be peaking at about when you want to be peaking with the caffeine in your system. For acute tasks lasting less than like five-ish hours in duration, I like to say, we'll take the caffeine anywhere from 30 to 60 minutes before. For long duration tasks spread out across the day, in tactical settings, what they'll do is they'll break up the caffeine into micro doses and have it every four hours incrementally. Um, so they'll take that same dose that I might give in a bolus dose and then break it up into, into micro doses and every four hours and they'll just keep doing that. And that'll give you that sustained attention and sustained vigilance across you know, 16, 20 hours. Like if you have to pull a night shift or something, or maybe you didn't study for a final and so you gotta pull an all nighter. So we have both use cases for like sustained attention and cognition, which you, know, you do the micro doses. Typically for this, you're looking at a dose of like less than 50 migs per increment. For the acute dose for cognitive benefit, we're looking at a dose of about one to three migs per kg body weight. For physical measures, so like if you need physical performance, we're looking at doses of about three to six migs per kg body weight. These are averages. And what I'll say too is if, if your daily dose is like much higher than any of these numbers that I just gave, you probably need to do a washout. <laughs> um, you probably need to do a washout. The minimum time to, to do a washout is 48 hours. There seems to be that if you are really ODing on caffeine that it can take up to like three-ish weeks to fully resensitize to your caffeine. And, and something for, for esports particularly or other cognitive realms, if you are blasting your body with caffeine every day, you can no longer realize some of the cognitive benefits that come with it. And you have to be caffeine sensitive. So for a lot of esports athletes, what I'm encouraging is like, you know, you're cycling your caffeine so that way you can maintain that sensitivity. You're not using it every single day. If you're using caffeine in the form of like a coffee or tea, you might be using it for health benefits. Like uh, there's these funny like meta-analyses that come out and they're like, oh, one cup a day of coffee is great. You live longer. And they're like, oh, two cups of coffee a day is better. They do another meta. Three cups of coffee a day. Is I think I saw a recent one actually that said like seven cups a day is like better than five for all, all cause mortality or something. Like it's crazy. Like the number just keeps going up and it's like, how is this even possible? <laughs> Which is just, I don't know, funny to me. But uh, what I'll say is that for that, that, that runs strictly opposite to performance benefits. So if you're using coffee in that way for health, it runs counter to performance benefits. So you, you have to talk about what is your purpose with using caffeine before you talk about the dosing and things. So if you're doing it for health, you know, you can do coffee tea every day. There's other things in there besides caffeine that are health promoting. It's not strictly the caffeine. For esports, if you're going to leverage it for performance or for cognitive benefit, you want to be strategic with it and pick your high value days and pick the days where you can leverage caffeine in order to, to optimize your performance. There are some caveats to this. Caffeine doesn't work for everybody. 
They call it the inverted U phenomenon where the arousal level, caffeine is a stimulant, it arouses you. And so you see a little bit of arousal is really good for you, improves performance, but too much arousal and you start to see decreases in performance. And so where you are on that spectrum naturally will dictate how much caffeine can work for you. And that comes at a little bit of a, uh, a testing thing. One other caveat that I'll throw on too is we don't actually know if caffeine helps out on competition days. It's very hard to mimic competition days in the lab setting. There's not as much adrenaline running when you're just chilling in a room in a lab compared to, you know, there's a hundred thousand viewers who are watching you. Your job hangs on the line. You've been training for this your entire year. Your family, your friends are all watching you. You know, you're on stage. There's lights, there's cameras, there's all this kind of stuff. The natural adrenaline that comes out in those events is quite high and layering caffeine on top of it could probably push you too far in the inverted U and may not even be doing anything. So we don't actually know on game days if it's doing anything, but I think on scrim days, you, you can leverage it, especially if you're more mellow and you need that little pick-me-up. All right, now, now it's time for us to take a short break, but when we come back, we'll answer some of the questions uh, from our listeners and uh, get some more information out there for you. This is Joel with the Thorn Podcast Performance Edition. Do you have a health question or suggestion for a guest or topic that you would like to be featured on the show? Reach out to us on Instagram. Our handle is at Thornhill. Ask us a question or a topic you'd like covered, and we'll try and cover it in future episodes. And don't forget to subscribe to the show in your podcast app. Get updates on the latest in medical research, the insider scoop on performance and health insights, and more when you subscribe to the Thorn Podcast. Thanks for listening. And we're back. So Casey, a lot of the questions we got were around supplementation. And I think rather than, you know, spending another hour on that, that's a whole other podcast. You have a really great supplement guide on your on your website, which is uh, gamerdiet.gg. Um, ton of information for people to read up on. Uh, but one of the things you mentioned in there is the concept of verified supplements. Can you talk a little bit about what that means to you? This is a huge topic in the realm of supplements, especially for esports. And for me as a medical practitioner, this is really a hard line that I have to take. Almost always with any pro esports team that I work with, I deliver a supplement presentation as like a little team talk to them. It's a little bit of a scare factor, but some truth to it. So just some scary stats. Most individuals are taking supplements, but as much as like 60, 70% of supplements don't pass the purity test. So like if you hear me talk and say, oh, you should take vitamin D, you go to your local GNC, Costco, whatever, NutriShop, and you go buy some some vitamin D, there's, you know, very high percentage chance, more, more than 50-50 that it's not passing the purity test. So what's on the label doesn't match what's inside the capsule or the bag or whatever. And what's worse is there's been multiple studies now where depending on which study you look at, anywhere from like 10 to 25% of random supplements off the shelf are gonna make you pop on a drug test, which is absolutely just super, super scary. And it's just a big no-go in the realm of professional sports, right? Like if you pop on a drug test, that's a suspension or worse, that could be a career ender that could be you know negative press and branding and all sorts of stuff. You're gonna lose uh, all sorts of things. So this is huge. You cannot have you popping on a drug test just because you decided to take a random supplement. The FDA, you know, I, I think it's really funny too when a lot of supplement manufacturers, they're like, oh, we have a GMP 
facility. And it's like, they wear, their, they wear this as a badge of honor. And it's like, this is the bare minimum legal requirement for you to be open. Like, that's not really a badge of honor. But what's worse is uh, the FDA did an internal audit and found that over 70% of facilities were in violation of GMPs. So it's like, okay, you can't even do the bare, bare minimum legal requirement. And it's just like, it paints a really ugly picture of the supplement industry in America. And so the way to protect us is to get some kind of product that is third party verified. So these are independent companies that have no financial stake in the supplement. And what they do is they will do a couple things. They will test your product for purity, make sure that it passes the purity test. They'll also do a drug test on it, some of them, where they'll test to make sure that it's not gonna have you pop on a drug test. And they'll do an audit of the facility to make sure that it's up to snuff. And so really this is the hard line that I take and it's if I'm going to recommend a supplement or if I'm going to be taking a supplement long term, it has to be third party verified like that. That just is is what it is. And some of the most common verifying companies NSF for sport. That's the most well recognized. It's really easy. Actually, you just go to the website NSF for sport and you type in, oh, I want to buy vitamin D or oh, I want to buy protein powder or whatever it is that you want to buy. And it'll pull up a list of just everything that has been certified by NSF. And that's your shopping list. Like you can pick and choose from that based off of, you know, the the colors on the, the bottle or whatever. I don't know, whatever you want. But but really for me, that's as a practitioner, that's really what I, I choose. That's partly why I, I land on Thorn a lot of the time for a lot of the products that I recommend is one, it's third party verified. Two, it, it's a relatively comprehensive product line. So it's almost like a one-stop shop because so many of, of the Thorn products are third party verified. And what you'll see is that sometimes companies, they have like one particular product line that's NSF certified and then like the rest of it isn't. So then you get tricked into thinking like, oh, I bought this one thing and then I bought these other three things from the company because I was already on the website and then uh oh wait none of these are third-party verified only that one particular one was so that really like bugs me when I see that if, if you're gonna be taking a supplement long term you need to make sure it's third-party verified that's that's really what it is <laughs> we say a lot you don't have to be a drug tested athlete to want to have that same level of you know security there yeah <laughs> um, so this is a question we get a lot um, from parents so my kid plays a lot of video games we recently had to get glasses for him and I worry about the strain on his eyes do you have any diet or supplement recommendation for him should he be wearing filtered lenses yeah I'll, I'll say that the data is a little bit inconclusive in humans we do have a lot of convincing data that blue light is damaging in animal models where we've done this uh, in humans again it's a little bit equivocal but still we know that blue light does some other negative things to the human like it suppresses melatonin uh, this alters your uh, sleep patterns and sleep quality and quantity in the nighttime we know that people who use screens before they go to bed they're literally going to perform a full letter grade less on test the next day. Uh, so you're literally dumber the next day because you've been looking at this blue light stuff. So anyway, um, blue light blocking lenses and things like that do seem to have some utility, both as far as potentially protecting from eye damage. Again, the data is a little bit iffy in humans right now, but you know the rodent data says it's pretty bad, but it also protects you from this abnormal uh, circadian cue and melatonin suppression that could be going on. From a nutritional standpoint, there are two nutrients that I really like to highlight that are very beneficial for eyes, which is lutein and zeaxanthin. These two nutrients have been shown in young, healthy individuals to protect the eyes, both the eye health, but also to enhance performance. And so this is uh, one of the things that I do did regularly in baseball players because uh, they're constantly like looking up, you know, at the sun and all this kind of stuff. So for baseball players and other outdoor sports, uh, lutein zeaxanthin makes a lot of sense. And then also for computer people. So if you work at a desk job all day or, you know, you're a gamer, these two nutrients will not only 
enhance the health of the eye, but also enhance performance, which is really cool. And so we see like very specific performance enhancements in young, healthy individuals when they're taking these. Those nutrients and then potential inclusion of blue light blocking material seems to be beneficial. We spent a lot of this conversation talking about esports athletes, but uh, you and I have talked uh, off camera. The idea of cognitive performance isn't just for gaming, right? I kind of have dumbed it down to, do you have a brain and do you use it, right? <laughs> well, then you're a cognitive performer. Yeah. Uh, can you talk a little bit about what some of the things we've talked about other places that they can translate to? I think you summed it up nicely, which is if you have a brain and you're using it. <laughs> um, I, I would say typically any kind of cognitively demanding job that you're doing if you need sustained attention across a day if you're a student right like students are continually going to school managing and juggling a lot of things i've worked with a lot of corporate individuals where efficiency there's a premium on efficiency but i mean if learning faster sounds good to you if having less sick days sounds good to you if uh you know improvements in just overall mood and well-being if reaction time sounds good to you memory sounds good to you like I mean, if you're just trying to learn and use your brain for literally anything i think that you can leverage all sorts of nutritional strategies and potentially supplement strategies in order to improve the performance there. And, you know, I've done a lot of talks with corporate and you can reduce sick days and also enhance efficiency at, at the high level for, for businesses and things like that. And the data is quite clear, like it's there. So please leverage it and it will only help you. <laughs> Yeah, it's it's funny how much of an impact it can make. We talked about hydration in the brain. I, I was working with a, a high level computer company, and it, all we did was a water challenge, like legitimately just drink more water, and like the coding errors pretty immediately went down. And they're like, "Wait, this is all we need to do to increase efficiency?" And then we got a, a lot of attention from the the higher ups, right? Yeah. But yeah, it's as simple as taking care of those fundamental uh, kind of areas. So, last question for you. I know you're always kind of doing your N of one Casey studies. Uh, what topics are you kind of playing with right now, and kind of what are you you interested in right now oh geez so casey n of one i did just get done with earlier this year I, I was kind of forced to with all the media attention on the carnivore diet i was forced to do the carnivore diet for a little bit so i, I tried that out and i gotta say that was air quotes fine while i did it and like when i went back to incorporating other foods like i gotta tell you my stomach was just like terrible and it was and i know why i mean i know why it's just because it killed my gut like biome when i was doing it i wasn't eating any fiber or anything so that kind of sucked and it was really unfortunate. The most recent thing that I have been trying to work in though is I've been trying to test out more dark chocolate because I was reading some research studies that showed that it enhanced ocular blood flow. And so I've been trying to do like these eye tracking things and see if I do a high dose dark chocolate, if I can improve this. So I'm, I'm like a few days into it and we'll see in another week or two if there's any results. But I gotta say it's, it's really hard to get this amount of dark chocolate in a day because you need the actual extract. Uh, if you're just like, like eating chocolate like it'd be like like six candy it'd be like six bars it's just like impossible so you have to get the actual extract and like or like the super powderized like high dose cocoa extract kind of thing and so it, it doesn't taste good <laughs> when you do it this way but uh yeah so so tbd we'll see we'll see how how the eyes do and um uh we'll see if this one is something that can work for me or not because i, I do like chocolate but i don't know if it's feasible um i don't know if it's actually feasible given what i'm doing right now it seems like it's kind of unrealistic because the product line just the market isn't there yet yeah well uh we'll see the media spin that uh casey recommends six chocolate bars a day uh, yeah oh jesus <laughs> uh, that's all the time we have this week casey it's been a joy uh where can people go to see more of your work 
I am notoriously awful at social media, so I am trying to get better at it. If anyone has any tips, please let me know. But you can probably most readily get me on Twitter, which is at CaseyThomasRD. I'm very responsive there. My website, GamerDiet.gg, has all sorts of fun articles on there about nutrition for cognitive performance specifically. Yes, it says Gamer Diet in the, in the title, but I think that this is applicable to literally, as we talked about, any kind of cognitive realm. And then also 1HP, which is you know the team of medical professionals I'm a part of, and we have all sorts of content and articles and videos and stuff related to different disciplines and esports performance. So, you know, whether that's physical therapy or sleep or psychology, like all this stuff. So yeah, that's, that's where you can find me. I don't have the other platforms, sorry. Um, but if anyone wants to help me, I'll take it. <laughs> No, those two those two websites are really a wealth of knowledge, and they're they're really approachable articles. So, uh, anyone interested in the space, I, I recommend checking them out. And then you can always you know check out Thorn.com or Take Five Daily. We're writing articles nonstop. You know this podcast and other episodes. And Casey, hopefully, we'll have you on again. I think we could we could go down a lot of different ways and spend an hour on those. But that was Casey Thomas, esports dietitian, and thank you for listening. Thanks for listening to the Thorn Podcast Performance Edition. Make sure to never miss an episode by subscribing to the show on your podcast app of choice. You can also learn more about the topics we discussed by visiting thorn.com and checking out the latest news, videos, and stories on Thorn's Take 5 Daily blog. For this performance edition of the Thorn Podcast, I'm Joel Totoro, reminding everyone to stay active and stay hydrated.